You know, if you're a Christian and you believe in a sovereign God, you need to stop saying, I don't have the time. <laughs> Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Christ and Culture. I'm Ken Keithley. And I'm Nathaniel Williams, the editor and content manager here at the Center for Faith and Culture. In today's Christ and Culture conversation, Drs. Keithley and Quinn will talk with Anna Avila about the topic of productivity. After that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. But before that, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines like news, sports, pop culture, or business from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, let's be Swifties and talk about last week's Super Bowl. (laughs) So the Super Bowl was last Sunday, and in one of the best Super Bowl games I've ever seen, uh, the Chiefs defeated the 49ers in overtime in a very exciting game. And there's so many angles we could take here. But let's talk about sportsmanship. Let's do it. We're going to talk about two things. So uh, we need to be transparent here. At the time of this recording, I know we're saying last week, and that's true, but really it was last night. So this is very fresh for us. So by the time that this uh, recording actually drops, some things may have changed. But let's talk about two things. As Dr. Keithley has already indicated, sportsmanship, and we'll get to that in just a second. But prior to that is, what a what a game. I mean, an amazing game. And so many people just said, I hope it's a good game. And, and they got their money's worth, whether they were in person or not. Uh, it was worth enduring. Um, I'm not sure it was worth $9,000 to be there in person. Well, it depends on how swift you are, Dr. Yeah, Keithley. Yeah, but well, in any case, not that swift. <laughs> not that swifty. Um, it was, you, you could endure the commercials and even the halftime show, regardless of what you thought about that, to enjoy. That was a fantastic game. Here's one thing that's really interesting to me, and there were a number of pregame interviews with Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, about this, that when Patrick Mahomes uh, was coming up, he, you know, so many people were on his side. He looks like the next big quarterback. He's young. He is... He's new in his technique. He's, he's really kind of not very non-traditional with respect to his technique. He throws he throws the football like a shortstop. I mean, he's got very much a baseball background. But at some point, you begin to kind of tip the scales to where no longer is everyone in your corner because you're the new young guy that might win a second Super Bowl. Now everybody's against you because they're tired of seeing you win. Well, it's, it's like the next Tom Brady. That's right. After so, a while, you thought, okay, does he need another ring? That's right. And so a number of people had already had used this very example of it's the Bulls of the 90s or it's the Patriots of the early 2000s and so on, where eventually people just hate the dynasties, right? And yeah. I'm, I'm an Alabama fan, too, so we know we know what that's like. Are the times the St. Louis Cardinals were dominant. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I hope that they play this year, but that's another <laughs> conversation. In, in this case, though, it's interesting. It's always interesting to me that in the moment of the dynasty, it's easy to hate these people. You know, hate, and, I, and I don't mean hate in the truest yeah. sense of the word, but it's easy to just be opposed to these people. But give it a little time, and everybody has massive respect for those dynasties. I mean, even if you weren't a Bulls fan, even if you weren't a Belichick and Patriots fan, you look back and you go, you can't not respect these guys. And that's where, that's where the Chiefs are. And, and I, I guess I'm a traditionalist and a classicalist enough 
that I want to see these guys win. I mean, let's, let's just see what kind of dynasty they can really put up. So I'm, I'm proud of the Chiefs. I don't really have a dog in that fight. I was happy to see either team win. Brock Purdy's story, the, the quarterback of the 49ers, is fantastic. He seems to be a strong believer. Um, he's He'll a be no, back. He's a nobody from Nowheresville who's yeah. barely been on the football field by all accounts. Wasn't yet, it Mr. Irrelevant? Mr. Irrelevant became yeah. relevant, became yeah. Mr. Relevant, and has already put up uh, a number of NFL records, first time uh, in history of several different uh, statistics. So that side's interesting to me, this sort of you go hero to villain really quickly as you are solidifying or sort of establishing a dynasty there. And so that's where the Chiefs are, and that means you have to live with the haters while you continue to win in the face of that. Um, and so we'll see what happens. The next few years will be really interesting. Let me switch then to the sportsmanship side. We saw Travis Kelsey. So first of all, the Chiefs did not play a great game. The yeah. 49ers played quite well overall. Really, the better team did not win. I, actually, I think the better team won. Well. I think a pound for pound, person for person, the better team won. The 49ers played a better game, but at the end of the day, if both teams play their best, the Chiefs are the better team. I mean, the very fact that they arguably played for about a quarter and a half plus an overtime, and they won the game. Yeah. That shows, I think, where the better team was. At the same time, we saw the the greatest tight end in NFL history act like an absolute child. Yeah, and let's just be honest about that. And I, I, I have a lot Taylor, of Taylor. You better take a look at this. <laughs> this is what he looks like at his worst. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for Travis Kelsey, the Kelsey family. They just seem fun and cool, and mm-hmm. they just seem like a, just a, a neat, a neat family. Um, but we saw him at his at his worst. We saw we, we don't know exactly what he was upset about. Again, some more information may come out by the time this drops. So this may be a little bit ill informed at this point. Um, but Travis was upset. Obviously, the offense wasn't going as it was supposed to. He gets very emotional on the sidelines. Which I want to be clear: getting emotional in athletics is just part of the game. That that's part of the formation that we learn from sports, and that's part of what I love so much about them. It gives you a chance. Whether a coach or a player, especially when you're a, when you're a kid, uh, it gives you an opportunity to feel the emotions rise up within you, and then decide: Am I going to be ruled by my emotions, or am I going to temper my emotions? Especially thinking about the fruit of the spirit that is self-control. Yes. In this moment with Travis Kelsey, we saw him very upset, and not only upset—that's one thing—but to go to one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time. Uh, Andy Reid, and to almost knock him over in his frustration, almost knock his playbook out of his hand in frustration, and then yelling at him at the same time. And there was a lot of social media scuttlebutt of kids learn a lesson here. Right. And that's exactly right. Uh, kids pay attention to, and I, and I don't mean this to villainize in any way Travis Kelsey. I still have a lot of respect for him as a player, and I hope that by the time this drops, he will have come out and apologized publicly. Uh, I'm sure he feels terrible about it. I'm sure he has massive respect for Coach Reed as well. But I simply want to take that to underscore the point for for players, for coaches, and especially for young people. uh, Recognize sports is a laboratory for emotional maturity. It's a place where our emotions will rise up in good, in the best of ways, and in the worst of ways. And when it comes to a Christian perspective on sports, let that be the laboratory where we learn how to temper our emotions then, how to channel them in the right direction, so that, Dr. Keith, to your point, those things don't get out of control in our households and in our relationships and in our workplaces 15, 20 years later. A laboratory for our emotions. That's a good word. One thing before we jump into our Christ and culture conversation, stop what you're doing. Go to whatever podcast platform you use to listen to this podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, something else, 
and go ahead and subscribe and give us those five stars and a brief review. That 10 seconds it'll take you to do that will go a long, long ways to helping us spread the word about the Christ and Culture podcast. And now let's jump into our Christ and Culture conversation. Are you equipped to face today's challenges with the gospel? Join us this year for Exploring Personhood, a conference that will be held on campus here at Southeastern February the 21st and 22nd, where we will deep dive into topics related to personhood, such as Christian nationalism, the racial divide, technology, suffering, and more, all through the lens of our Christian faith. Tickets start at just $10, and you can learn more at CFC. Dot S-E-B-T-S dot E-D-U. We hope to see you there. How can you pursue productivity and why is it so important to do so? Today, we're delighted to have with us Anna Avila. Uh, Anna works as a senior writer for the Spanish version of the Gospel Coalition. Uh, And she is the creator and host of Pienza Podcast. She has an undergraduate degree in clinical biochemistry and a diploma in biblical studies. Uh, Avila lives in Guatemala with her husband and her two sons. She's also the author of a new book that we're going to focus on today entitled Make the Most of Your Productivity, A Guide to Honoring God with Your Time. Anna, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited about this podcast, as I would mentioned in email earlier, and here's part of why. Uh, so I teach a combination of students, some graduate, some undergraduate. But among the undergraduate students, one of the conversations that I've had with them often in the last couple of years that they seem most interested in is conversations about productivity and efficiency. Um, in fact, as we've had, you know, explored rabbit trails or various discussions that may spin off of whatever our textbook is, um, that that tends to be one of the most uh, sort of interesting conversations for them, more important conversations for them. So I'm really keen to hear more about, about what you're going to say about this, and maybe even why is it so important for this younger generation. To start with, though, just tell us a little bit about yourself, and why would you write a book on productivity? Yeah, thanks. Well, I've always been sort of a productivity nerd. I've always enjoyed getting stuff done on time. I've always liked to be a good student. So it was something that I naturally gravitated to, like reading about it, listening to videos and podcasts and learning how to improve my task management, my calendars and things like that. But it was always something very personal. I I never thought about sharing it with anyone. I started writing online about 10 years ago on a little blog and I started writing about books and reading and habit formation, mostly regarding reading, but I've never connected that topic of productivity with my writing until I started sharing my productivity, I guess, advice to friends in regular life, friends who are moms and were trying to balance their home life and their work or their ministry and things like that. And I started getting encouraged by people to just share a bit more um, of what I learned I guess one of the most pivotal points for me was, I don't know, it was maybe eight years ago when I found out about a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. 
Um, mm -hmm. yep. I, I used to be, like I said, an overachiever when I was a kid and then in high school and, and in college a little bit. But I've always used the striving to try to get something out of my work and my studies. I just, I just wanted to be, I guess, the best student. And when I heard the gospel and was transformed by the gospel, I just sort of changed the mindset a little bit. Like, okay, Jesus gave everything for, for me. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. But yes, I want to be a faithful steward. So I started to use productivity in that way. But I guess my flesh was still there and I was still struggling with the fact that when I had my to-do list checked off by the end of the week or whatever, I felt great. And then when my plans weren't being accomplished in the way I planned them to, I just felt crushed and it felt like I was the worst person in the world. Uh, but when I came up with that book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, it just struck me that I was using productivity in the complete opposite way that it should be used. I was using productivity to gain instead of to give. Mm. I was using productivity instead of to love, just to, to be served by people. Because if I accomplish a lot of things, then people would praise me or they would reward me with uh, recognition or whatever. So that book helped me to really be centered in the gospel and what Jesus had done and to find my worth in him and then be freed, truly freed to use my mm -hmm. gifts and my time and my energy and my abilities to just serve people and forget about myself. So that was a very pivotal point in my life. And then um, when I started sharing this thoughts with, with people, they just encouraged me to, to share it more widely. And, and I decided to write a book about it. <laughs> and I'm, we're using the word productivity quite a bit in this conversation just to get the foundation right. How do you define productivity? Yeah, that's an excellent point because most people, when they hear about productivity, they just think about getting the most stuff done in the least amount of time or something like that. But yeah. we're not factories. We're not robots. We are human beings made in the image of God to love him and love others. And productivity is basically that for the Christian uh, is using the gifts God has given us all our resources, our time, our energy, our, our talents, um, everything we have in the best way we can for the glory of God and the good of others. That that's the way I like to describe productivity. It's not about working all the time. It's not about getting all the things checked off our lists because we don't have control over what's going to happen tomorrow. And we might be very good planners and have the best intentions in the world, but then stuff happens that we didn't expect. And that doesn't mean we weren't productive. It just means that God had other plans and we can respond with faithfulness, even if it, it was not in the way we planned. Uh, productivity is not about calendars or to-do lists. Not, it's not the main thing. The main thing is faithfulness. So being wise and discerning about what the gifts God has given us are, and then trying our best to use them for his glory and the God of the good of his people. I love that you mentioned the, the little Keller book, which I think was originally a sermon that they printed into yes. a, a small pamphlet. That's uh, and, and Nathaniel, perhaps we can put this in the show notes. You can read, you can read this sermon slash little book in less than an hour. It's a, it's a super helpful uh, tool. But Anna, tell us as well, let's, let's just go a little bit deeper. What are some of the basic principles that our listeners can think through relative to, to productivity? 
Yeah, in the book, I mentioned six principles, but I guess we can we can share three right now. My favorite three. The first one would be you have the time you need to do the things you should be doing. I guess a lot of us go through life thinking that we don't have enough time to do the things we have to do. And we complain a lot of the time. And one of the first things I say to people that come to me for productivity advice is, you know, if you're a Christian and you believe in a sovereign God, you need to stop saying, I don't have the time. <laughs> because God is the one who prepared the good works you need to be walking in, as he says in Ephesians 2.10. And he knows who you are. He knows your limits. He knows you. there's only 24 hours in a day. And he's not going to be like, hey, Anna, here you go. 36 hours of good works for today. You know, I don't know how you're going to make it work, but you you should be doing this and that. And no, he knows uh, our limitations. And he's a good God that, again, has prepared good works for us. And we have everything we need to walk in them in Jesus Christ. So we need to stop thinking that we don't have time. Now, we don't have time for everything we want to be doing, but that doesn't mean we don't have th time for the things we should be doing. So we, we need to pray for wisdom from God to be able to discern what are the things he has prepared for us to do every day. Uh, and then be diligent and walk in those good works. Because if we really feel like we don't have the time, there's only two options. We might be doing things that God is not requiring us to do right now. Or it might be that we are doing things that God is requiring us to do, but we're doing them in an inefficient way. We're being distracted in, in our modern age with our phones. And we all know that we are distracted a lot of the time. So we might be jumping from thing to thing instead of focusing on the good work that God has put before us. So we need to be discerning of that, uh, but starting with the foundation that we have the time that we need to walk in the good works that God has prepared for us. And then we can also talk about our limitations. We can't do everything. And that's a good thing. In our limitations as, as creatures, we can worship God and we can honor him. A lot of people are just waiting for something to change in their lives to start being productive. I talk to a lot of moms, for example, and they have maybe little kids who wake up in the middle of the night or who are very demanding of their time 24 seven. And they start thinking things like, oh, if only my child would sleep through the night, then I would be able to be productive. Or if my work, my husband didn't have to work th this many hours a day, then I could be uh, productive. But no, God is not expecting us to change our circumstances necessarily to be for us to be able to be productive within our limitations. In this season, we can be productive. That doesn't mean it's going to look like the person right next to us who may be single and has more free time or whatever, but each of us has different responsibilities, different strengths, different gifts, different weaknesses. And within those limitations, we can learn and should learn to be productive. We don't have to wait until this season passes. Another limitation that we all have is sleep. And I think God was very, very aware of what he was doing when he made us creatures that need to be unconscious for a third of, their, of our lives to function. I think that's a very profoundly theological fact of life. God is, is like, you know what? You don't want to surrender? Well, I'm going to make you a creature that must surrender <laughs> for a third of mm -hmm. your life to actually function. And, and we can do that 
kicking and screaming, drinking coffee and at midnight, just trying to fight our limitations. Or we can say, look, God, I'm tired. And, I, and you made me a creature that needs to sleep. And I trust you. I trust you that you're going to take care of my family. You're going to take care of my church. You're going to take care of my work. And I can rest in you. And I can enjoy the gift of sleep. So mm -hmm. these limitations that we sometimes fight so hard, they are a gift from God. And we can rejoice in them. And we can, within those limitations, boundaries, we can be productive. And finally, we have the principle of decision making we can't do everything but we don't have to do everything we are agents god has given us a will he has given us a brain he has given us the promise of wisdom his word prayer the community of the church and we can make decisions of where to put our time or energy or resources um a lot of people just go by through life just giving away their time and energy without thought and if people did that with their money, we would think they're crazy. That's a quote from Donald Whitney. If people use their money in the way they use their time, we would think they're crazy because we're just giving it away without sitting down and making wise decisions regarding, mm. okay, where, where I'm going to put my energy, where, where I'm going to uh, invest my time. And that's not the way God wants us to steward our lives. We, we cannot just wash our hands off and say, okay, I'm just going to do whatever comes every day. We need to start making decisions and know that we're going to fail because we're human, we're imperfect, um, and we're going to mess up sometimes. But I rejoice in the fact that the Bible teaches us that God makes our, our path straight. And I always picture myself just trying to like walk faithfully and God very gently and very lovingly making my my way straight um and and making sure i'm 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 okay and i'm well taken care of and and my family is well taken care of and his purposes will in the end all be fulfilled so i don't have to be afraid to make those decisions and faithfulness um, and oh. for his glory so th those are some principles that i like to think about when i'm thinking about productivity that's really helpful. And I thank you for sharing those. Let me ask just a couple more questions. Um, one is, uh, so I can, I can imagine people listening to this and thinking, especially earlier, you were talking about being more efficient with our time. Maybe we are giving time to certain things, but maybe we spend too much time on those things and we have to develop better, better practices. But I can also hear the idealists in the other side of my and the other ear saying, but but we're supposed to be called to excellence. And so I have to, it has to be excellent. And in that case, then you have to spend more time on it. And that means I can't do other things. And how do you, how do you find faithfulness? And I love how you, you, you mentioned that earlier, that faithfulness is the goal in this sort of first Corinthians four mindset, but how, how do we do things? How do we offer work unto the Lord or offer tasks unto the Lord with some measure of excellence, while also you can't spend 10, 10 hours on something that might really only need 10 minutes. So how do you how do you do that? Yeah, I guess it comes down to wisdom, just as we need to sit down and pray and make decisions regarding what are the things that we should be doing in this given season. We, sh we should also consider, OK, how how much time I'm going to invest in every responsibility I have. We we, we need to be balanced in our work and in our rest and in the different responsibilities we have in our local church and in our homes and in our work. And I guess there's this 
corny analogy that everyone knows, but I think it's it's used so much for a reason. This analogy of the big rocks and then the sand and then the water and the pebbles and all of that. I think that there's very much merit in that illustration where we need to go to the Bible and figure out what are the big things, the main things, the non-negotiable things in our lives. We know that we should be in the word. We we know that we should be part of a local fellowship. We know that if we're parents, we need to be investing in our children when they wake up, when they're in the home and in the road, and we need to be teaching them the word. Um, so we we, through the word of God, we know, uh, what the big rocks are, and we can start um, placing them in our calendars. I always like to do this exercise with people, and I know that for many, um, it's a bit, uh, I don't know, overwhelming to just look at things in our calendars and, for example, put the amount of hours you need to sleep in your calendar and then put your time for studying the word and then put your time for work and then your time for your meals and just start, start noticing how it feels your your week mm. but even if it's overwhelming you don't have to do it every way every day but once in a while just just to have that visual of what the big things are and how they fit and then how how much space you have left for the pebbles and the sand and the water um that'll wake us up and make us make better decisions regarding what things we should be placing in our calendar and how much time we should be investing the thing with the amount of time we invest in things is that we sometimes feel that we need more time in a task to be excellent at it when I believe that what we need most is focus and really, really be of one mind and be attentive to the thing God has placed before us. I, I see this all the time with students. They believe that they need to be studying 10 hours a week to be able to ace a test or to finish a paper. Um, but when we get away with distractions and really uh, learn how to focus on one thing, we figure out that, hey, we don't need a lot of time to study. Of course, we need some time. But when that time is well-focused and well-spent, it's much less. So I would encourage people to actually practice their focus we live in a culture where we have been trained for years for distraction and we really underestimate the toll that takes in our excellence so those are some thoughts i hope they help that is very helpful dr keithley anna you're a clinical biochemist and i find that fascinating has your study of neuroscience helped you in developing a a concept of productivity yeah, I I did study some some neuroscience when I was in college, but I mostly got into it after when I started reading about the effects of social media in our brains. When I started writing about productivity, people started asking me about how they could make better use of their technology, particularly social media. So uh, I started teaching people how to balance their social media use and how to be mindful or how much time they spent in these platforms. And then I started reading about how these platforms are designed and how they hook us to come and look for entertainment again and again and again and distract us for the, from the things we should be doing. So definitely there's a lot of things we can learn from neuroscience 
that explain and help us understand why we feel the need to be distracted all the time. And there are many ways that we can fight that and and stop being swayed by these distractions that are, I believe that they're, this is warfare. I mean, we're here preaching the gospel, sharing truth, raising children, building the church. Um, and, and then there's this technology that again and again draws us from these holy tasks that God has, God has given us. And this is a fight for our attention and our minds and our focus and our energy. And it is something that is rewiring our brains, literally. And sometimes I feel we don't take that seriously enough. So understanding how that works at a, a cellular level in our brains is very important for us to be aware of the magnitude of the problem and then start taking good measures to to fight this. I think that's such an important point because we live in a time of, of information overload, uh, sensory overload. Uh, we're receiving inputs from so many different um, directions. I mean, I suspect that even while this podcast is being broadcast, many of our listeners are doing two or three things while they're listening. And I, and, and I'm, and that's not, that's not a criticism. I often do the same thing. Um, but understanding what that's doing to us, I think is so very important, uh, if particularly in terms of, of, of what we talked about productivity, doing things in a way that we are satisfied that we, we did give it, um, we did do it with excellence in a way that honors the Lord uh, and does not turn into something that is a legalistic weight around our neck. Um, I really do think that we have dr dramatically underestimated uh, the effect that the internet and social media is had on our daily lives. Definitely, definitely. And there are many things that technology gives us. We are connected right now through technology. We can get to people and share good information through technology. But sometimes we forget that not all technology is built the same way. Um, there are some technologies that are built deliberately for compulsive use and for just keeping you there. That's their main goal. And I don't think that's healthy. And again, I think we, we sometimes downplay the effects it has on our lives because we feel, oh, there are so many awesome things that I can do here and connect and get information. And I always encourage people to ask themselves, is this the best way to connect? Is this the best way to be informed? Or are there better ways you can get all of these benefits without the compulsive abuse that is distracting you from the good works that God has prepared for you? Yeah, I think that uh, this is perhaps one of the most important areas of of, of growing uh, as a community and as a culture, understanding the right way to use the gifts that God has given the 21st century. I mean, we're talking to you uh, from North Carolina while you're in Guatemala, and technology has made uh, this podcast possible. We thank God for that. Uh, then how do we use these good gifts in a way that we're using the gifts and the gifts aren't using us. That that's one of the challenges we have today. And uh, just as a reminder, we're we're talking about your book, "Make the Most of Your Productivity: A Guide to Honoring God with Your Time." And this is Anna Avila. 
Uh, Anna, just remind our listeners, where can they follow your work and how can they find your book? Yeah, speaking of social media, I try to be away from it. So all my work is on my website, anaavila.org. Um, and there they can find links to my articles and writings and podcasts and all the things in my book is going to be available wherever books are sold. So if you want to pre-order it through Amazon or through the Crossway website, you can find it there. That's fantastic. Thank you. I think we've only just uh, dipped our toes in the waters of a, of a deep conversation here. So thanks for doing that. And thanks for doing it in English. I'm sure you're, you're much more comfortable in Spanish, but you did a great job. Thank you for doing that. Thanks for joining us today, Anna. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And now it's time for On My Bookshelf. Uh, it's the part of the show in which our guests share what they're reading right now. And so, Anna, what's on your bookshelf? Well, one of the books that I've been recommending a lot, it's Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke. Anna Lemke is an addiction expert from Stanford University. And in this, in this book, she explains very, very easily for all of us who are not experts in neuroscience, all the things that happen in the brain when we encounter substances or practices that generate great amount of dopamine in our brains and basically make us addicted to these substances or practices. And this is a very important book for anyone who has a phone with social media particularly, but it's not only social media. It's, of course, um, food, processed food, um, shopping, gambling, a lot of things that generate excessive amount of dopamine in our brains and they make us addictive. We need to be aware that a lot of the things that surround us, that mo uh, many of them, they seem innocuous, but they're designed for this compulsive use. And we need to be aware of what's happening in our brains to be able to combat it. Tell me the name of the book again. The book is Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke. Excellent. Thank you, Anna, for that recommendation. I think I'm going to go try to find it on my, for my Kindle reader uh, right as soon as we finish with the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating and a brief review. We'll see you next week. Bye.